Hi, my name is David Siegler and welcome to my podcast. Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of my podcast. I'm super, super excited because I'm with an old friend here who is now a property beast (laughs) and he's sitting here watching me, wondering what I'm going to say. So in my very early days in property, I met the wonderful Fraser MacDonald who has so generously uh, given me a few minutes of his time just to do this episode this morning. We're going to talk about property. We're going to talk about moving from uh, just starting out as a beginner that you and I and everyone else does to building a huge, and when I say huge, I mean huge, property business. So, Fraser, welcome. Thank you, David. Say hello to everyone. Tell us something about what you're doing now, and then we'll we'll have a look back and work through your uh, well, journey. First, well, firstly, it's lovely to see you again, and it's nice to reconnect with people from the past, from uh, uh, when I first met you in Ashton Underline. Hopefully, when you say an old friend, you don't mean an old friend, but a friend from a long time, although we're all getting a bit older. Um, sure, and do you know what? Um, a, a quick recap of what, I, what I've done is that I started investing in property about 20 years ago. So I started buying terraces um, in the north of England, in Greater Manchester, in a place that you know very well, Ashton under Lyne. And that's where we met, right? It is, yeah, yes. we met in Ashton under Lyne. Um, for me, it's my favourite investment area um, of anywhere, and uh, obviously it's had its trials and tribulations following the crash. But always, of all of my rental properties, um, the, the rents have been very solid. Uh, the uh, letability, the tenants have been sensible. I've certainly got some areas where the tenants are less sensible. Um, but I know that I've got a house or a flat in Ashton. I haven't got any flats, but houses. Um, they always let out. Re- really, really, really good. Absolutely. And that was where we met. So um, when I started, 2004-ish, uh, I went up to Ashton Sorcerer Estate Agents, I would find myself in a, a terrace street in Ashton on one side of the road looking up at the roof line of a house the other side of the road and right in front of me with Fraser McDonald would stand in <laughs> looking at the house behind me on the other side of the road and I'm thinking, does he know something I don't know? Should I be looking at the other house? But that was how it rolled. It was, and sometimes we were bidding on the same houses at the same time. So we at, were... at that, well, I started out being an investor, but then when I left Tesco, um, I set up a, a small sourcing business called Property Fit, and quite a few times we were bidding on the same house. So we used to get to a pattern which is, let's not bid on the same house at the same time. Let's just agree to not do that. And then we'd be up against Robbie Fowler's agent, wouldn't we, at the oh, time? Of course, he was around as well. Yeah, yeah, you right. just reminded me. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, oh, God, who's run the house, whether it was an Oldham or Ashton, it's Robbie Fowler's agent or whatever. And they were great times, weren't they? They were. So tell us a little bit about Property Fit, Fraser, because we'll have people listening to the podcast who are just setting out on their way. So um, maybe money's a challenge. Maybe they want to get into sourcing and, and providing good deals for their investors. What, what, what would you recommend? How well, I mean, Property Fit was my sourcing company, and it is still running, but it's not really what I'm involved with anymore. Um, but Property Fit itself, I set that up in, um, uh, I left Tesco in 94 and it got incorporated in 97. And Property Fit, we sourced, have sourced about 400 
houses worth about 25 million pounds. So before the crash, should we talk about life before the crash? Before the crash, it, it was quite a formulaic and straightforward business. You know, we'd go and buy a house for maybe 60,000 pounds, spend two or three grand doing it up. We'd rent it for 350, 395. And we'd be buying and managing cases for um, clients in London typically. And the business grew organically. And I grew the business. And actually, we are just talking about an old office I used to have in Farmworth in Bolton. Do used I, to have a, I took tea with you in Farmworth. <laughs> I, I like to take you to the, the, the best. Well, in fact, well, David and I just like, we're sat in home house in Marylebone at the moment near our head office in London, which is a bit different to Farmworth. Very Ashton. different. Although I, I love Sorrento's and Ashton. So if you're ever in Ashton, go to Sorrento's on Stamford Street. It's, it's real. Um, <laughs> so before the crash, we were doing that and they were really, really good and solid deals. Um, when the crash came, understandably, you know, uh, kind of uh, buyers dried up. You know, the, the Northwest market fell off a cliff, as we both know, um, 25, 33%. And really in Ashton, um, those values have stayed suppressed. And actually until the start of this year, um, they've started to tickle back up after 10 years, 10 long years. But it wasn't all bad news. It's actually really, well, what, it was bad news for my team that, you know, they all left and resigned at that time because there was no customers, the writing was on the wall. But actually for a portfolio point of view, my, my rents increased, my occupancy increased, my, thank God to Mortgage Express, one three quarters over Bank of England base rate, they went down massively. So I actually got this negative effect on my capital value of my portfolio, but in terms of cash flow, it went up. So from that point of view, it was great. And so, okay, so that happened in... Uh... Well, December the 3rd, 2008, Fraser, let me take you back. Okay. That was a very special day. Can you remember what that was? Was that the happened? people carrying the boxes out of Lehman Brothers? It was, was a little it? bit after that. Right. So December the 3rd, 2008 was, in fact, my birthday. Right. Yes, okay. it was. But it was also a Thursday, yeah. and it was the day when the uh, Monetary Committee at the Bank of England cut interest rates by 1.5% that day. Oh, yes. Well, I remember every uh, whilst I was driving around my car thinking, what on earth am I going to do next? I kept listening to these monthly reports of the base rate going down and down and down and down. And I was on this variable rate, and it just, like, it was fantastic. I mean, I remember watching the kind of people coming out of boxes of Lehman Brothers thinking, oh, that's an interesting news article. Didn't realize it was going to be a tsunami of an effect on my own business. Um, and at that point, I had to make a decision. So I was a landlord. I had a property business, which uh, literally only months before I'd been offered a considerable six-figure sum to sell. Really? Um, and turned it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I I'm quite, sorry, I didn't mean to splutter no, 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 on the, the business. <laughs> we know each other well enough. Um, and But I kind of looked, I sat in my office in Farmworth with five empty desks thinking, what do I do now? And I had all these crazy thoughts like, do I become a doctor? Do I, what do I do? And after a while, I decided I was going to stay in the game. Okay, stay in the game. Um, and at that time, um, the government, in their wisdom, introduced EPCs and then HIPs, these annoying energy performance certificates. Um, however, the, in those days, you could uh, charge £100 for an EPC and you could do your own properties. So I thought, if I just train to become a domestic energy assessor, um, I can stay in the game, I can cover my costs, but I can actually contact all of my clients to say, I'm doing this, you'll need an EPC when you rent your property out. And for a couple of years, I did EPCs, um, which actually basically paid the bills. It's spooky, this, because you don't know this. All right. But I went off and did the same thing. 
Oh, did you? I was doing EPCs <laughs> in and around Brighton because um, I was not as industrious uh, as you. In 2008, everything stopped, and I just sat at home for three years. Well, um, I did I did kind of sit at home. Well, I, just, I sat for probably six months to nine months thinking, what do I do now? But I had the luxury that, you know, my surplus cash flow had gone up. So it wasn't like I couldn't not pay my bills. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Well, <laughs> well, I was doing all the EPCs for my clients. And I was going around to all the estate agents saying, I'm doing these EPCs. And then I picked up a contract randomly with Entwistle Green in Blackpool. So I was bombing up to Blackpool doing the EPCs there. So I made, I actually quite liked it because it's a short piece of work that you go and visit a property. And the properties I were doing this pretty standard terraces. Uh, they were easy to do, you know, but I always did them to the best of my abilities, you know, in laser measure, get it measured. They're a bit harder now. I'm going to talk about the upsell, Fraser. Yeah. So did you do the floor plans to accompany the... I didn't. You did, I didn't oh, I do did. the floor plans. I went Metro Picks, Fraser. Oh, oh, very good. Not really. But I was charging about £100, remember? Yeah. So... Okay, well, I didn't do that because I, I literally just wanted to box it off. I want to go to a property. I draw all the plans and do all the measurements. I could have quite easily have done it. Um, and then I just published the EPC with all the photos in and out. And, you know, you could probably do five or six of those a day um, with the cost of the EPC was about six or seven pounds, wasn't it? So you could clear four or five hundred pounds a day, but it wasn't every day. So I might have done one of those days every couple of weeks. And I recognise that exactly how you put it. Okay, yeah. So, um... Can I move you forward? Yes. No, I'm going to move you back. Sorry, okay. team. I'm going to move you back. So, you started off deal packaging, deal sourcing. Oh, right, right. I started off as a landlord, first and foremost. Right. Okay. So, I, in 1995, I bought my... Uh, sorry, 1997, I bought my first house. I was the, you know, worried about investing, kind of risk-averse. Bought my first house in Minto Street in Ashton. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all been there. Mm. And I held my breath and thought... God, this is going to be a terrible business. What happens if A, B, and C? And actually, um, I met a chap um, he probably know, um, and got one house, and I bought another. And then I, I, I did, and I, it wasn't because I was listening to Progressive or whoever. I did put the deposit down on a credit card. And also, I didn't realize it. I was an early adopter because I think buy-to-let mortgages came in in either 96 or 97, and I bought my first house in 97. And in those days, it was a 15% deposit. So my house was 33 grand, and so I put a deposit down of five grand on my credit card. I comfortably covered it, you know. I made at least 100 and 150 pounds surplus just off that one house, quickly paid off the credit card, thought, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. And I built a relationship with a builder, um, and I bought four or five, and I started doing this. And I started building my portfolio just kind of the traditional way. You know, the, the price was on for 33 and a half grand. I went in and negotiated really hard. And I think I got it for 33250 or something. So I didn't get a huge discount, but the numbers just worked. The tenants were great. I, my first tenant, I'll never forget, a lady called Wendy. She was there for 10 years. I thought, God, this is how it works. And then when I was, I was at Tesco at the time, I was like working in their commercial department. Friends and family started saying, oh, you know, you seem like you know what you're doing. You're getting a great return. I'd just start helping them out. And I got to a level in Tesco, uh, I got to basically one click below a director and you get offered a mandatory payout at that stage. And I thought, you know what? I, I love the North. I've been to university in the North. My, my wife was from the North and I, I really liked it. I thought, oh, I've got an opportunity here just to set up a sourcing business. So I, I took the package. It was quite significant, you know, if, yeah, and I just emailed all my friends and family, set up this business. My sister uh, was in branding. She 
set up the name and the brand and everything, set this up, and I started. Um, and it just went. And, and that's really cool because that's a, there's a leap of faith there. You were oh very, God, yeah. You were very corporate, so you had to be brave. You do it. Yeah, it did have to be brave. I did have the safety net, but it's like um, I know that you know this is uh, you do a lot of work with progressive, and I, I hope you don't mind me saying, but I'm kind of part of the pin community. Please. And you know, uh, like your VIP program, pin has mastermind, and one of the things, and I, I was the host of thirteen, sixteen, and nineteen. One of the things is taking the step. And some people just can't do it. It's a huge leap of faith for some people. It's not. It's never really straightforward. You know, sometimes they don't have the support of their partner. Sometimes they don't have enough confidence. Sometimes they haven't got enough knowledge. Or they might, you know, their wealth dynamic mindset, they might be risk averse. They might be over on the left, you know, on the Lord kind of side. And you've got to take the step. And I do this presentation that I do. And it's kind of like when I started my journey, I was kind of like, do you remember The Hobbit? And it was like Frodo or Bilbo is really frightened to go out on this journey. I was bricking myself, David. Um, and we've, know, all, we've all been there. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 felt the same, I felt the same way. And uh, I remember we were having coffee in Ashton Underline in 2008. And we'll move, we'll move yeah. forward in a minute. Um, and you spoke about the PIN organisation at the time to me. Yeah. And, and you, you said, you know, you, you loved the values and the teaching and you were going to go that way. And I nearly went that way. Yeah. Um, what happened, I, I, I went home for three and a half years and I, I popped my head out in 2014 just to see what was going on. Yeah. Because right? um, it wasn't very good for me, retirement. And I, was that close? Was that close? Because our mutual friend, Peter Fallon yeah. uh, in Brighton. Oh, uh, Peter's a great guy. I love Peter. Yeah. And he was very supportive to me early days. And he put his arm around me and said, young man, this is where you need to go. But I got this email. In fact, I started getting quite a lot of emails from um, these guys in Peterborough, uh, Fraser. And I, I went along and um, it, was, it was on the flip of a coin. But do you know what swung it for me? Uh, they wear stripy shirts, pointy shoes. And we're, uh, allowed, we're allowed to say the F word once a day. And that was it. Well, Simon does sometimes get property to it. <laughs> I think two things. One is I respect anyone that invests in their education. Agreed. If, whether you're talking about Tiger, Progressive or PIN, Agreed. I think there's a hell of a lot of similarity. There's a slightly different approach. I like the way Simon does it. But I also, you know, if people do VIP or Tiger, they're investing in the future. And that, that marks them apart. Also, networking for me is why I'm sat here in Marylebone today, and we'll come on to what happened with Prosperity Capital Partners. But but it's key. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. You've got to step over the line. So, you know, I stepped over the line. I left Tesco. I set up Property Fit, did the sourcing company. We sourced how, lots how of many, How many deals did you... We, we did four, about 400 deals. That's big. Yeah, it was there's a lot. Not, it was, there's not many people done more than that. No, and... I know we're going to talk about prosperity, but the thing about sourcing is that there's many, many people doing it and doing a really bad job with it. Um, and, you know, you, you can set up and become a sourcer tomorrow. I mean, there's some things that you have to do. There's mandatory items such as, you know, re, you know register the property ombudsman and uh, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, data protection. Pretty much none of them do it. And I think it's one of the worst industries there are. Uh, we continue to, in fact, Property Fit is the UK's longest continuing property sourcing company. Uh, it is, yeah. I'm not currently involved. It is okay, because cool. everyone else kind of fell off a cliff in 2008. Yeah, 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 yeah. We didn't. We actually kept going because I was doing the DEA 
Um, I was still doing a few deals at that time. I was going in and out of a lot of houses and doing some deals. I kept in the game and I committed to it. Interesting. So, so that kind of fell off a cliff and then it kind of picked back up and then we were doing a few things and let's kind of move forward. So I built my portfolio and it's quite a good, significant portfolio. I'd sourced a lot of houses. So I've got a lot of experience in that sector and strategically in um what year in 2011 i decided to strategically set myself up in london for a number of reasons one i set up a letting agency in london because i had an opportunity with a fantastic agent who worked for me in accrington i wanted to move to london a lot of my london friends were complaining about being ripped off by the agents in london so I set up line yard lettings but two i thought in the future i want to strategically base myself in london and manchester on both the bases and Actually, what I had been doing is I'd set up an independent networking meeting in Manchester. And that was going along quite well because I just believe in networking. And then Simon was growing his PIN meeting base. And he set up his Manchester PIN meeting in exactly the same venue the day after. And basically with his firepower, like Rob's, and, you know, just shot me out of the water. So I rang Simon. I said, what are you doing, Simon? He said, well, listen, I'd gotten well with Simon before then. I'd I'd known him. And he said, look, it's a free market. And uh, I'm setting my meeting up there. And he said, look, why don't you just come and join us? I went, okay, good idea. He said, look, you're you're pretty experienced. Come be one of our hosts. And I was talking to him about running Chester Pen, But then I thought, hang on a sec. I've got a great opportunity to strategically get into London. At that time in London with the pin meetings, um, there was only one meeting in Blackfriars um, that Andy was running. Um, so I, I set up the Kensington pin meeting and I started getting myself into that arena, networking with people. Now there's quite a lot of pin meetings in London, seven or eight with all the progressive ones, lots. But at that time, there weren't many property meetings. Um, so I set up and created the, the Kensington pin meeting. And at the same time, I, I looked around the pin community because that's the community I'm in. I'm sure you do the same progressive and say, who in this community am I impressed by? And there was a chap that I was really super impressed with the way that he was, how professional he was, a chap called Gavin Barry. He'd been one of the mastermind winners and his background was very similar to mine. He, um, he was in Liverpool. He was doing a lot of deals, sourcing for students. He built up his own portfolio and lettings in the States. And I remember saying, ringing Gavin and go, look, come and can we meet up for a coffee in St Anne's Square in Manchester? I said, yeah, love to. Um, and that was because we're going to be five years old next um, February, February the 13th, not quite the 14th, prosperity are going to be. And so that was probably in about 2012, okay? Um, and I kind of explained to him where I was. Like, I've done a lot of stuff in the property arena, but I want to raise my game. I'm young enough and I'm hungry enough. And luckily, he was in exactly the same place. He also wanted to raise his game. Um, and we, at that point, we agreed that we were going to work together. We, at that point, we weren't sure what it was. And we tried an initial kind of guys with a few other uh, kind of company with a few other guys doing some small scale development in London. And that didn't quite work out for a whole number of reasons. But what we decided was that we really like working together. So Gavin and I said, we like working together, but we need somebody else. Um, and uh, at, at that time, and this is the networking point, there were three meetings in London. Uh, pin networking meetings. I was running Kensington, Gavin was running Blackfriars, and a chap called Ed Vokes was running Canary Wharf. So I said, well, let's just speak to Ed. He'd actually come to my first meeting at Kensington um, when it was in Hammersmith, actually, with the West London pin. And, and I'd be watching him. And we, I remember meeting up with Ed and Gavin myself um, at the Royal Exchange in Bank, just having a chat. And Ed was at exactly the same point as well. And Ed had a design and, um, uh, you know, uh, building kind of background 
and it was based in London. At that time, Gavin was in Liverpool, I was in Manchester, Gavin's since moved to Dublin. We thought, right, this is good. So that's where it came from. And um, since then, the journey of Prosperity Capital Partners has been a rapid and broad one. Um, we, we've done some fantastic deals. Um, and we now specialize in two areas, which is purpose-built student accommodation um, and build-to-rent, PRS, multifamily, or whatever you call it. So share some numbers with us, Fraser. What sort of scale of deals? We started in um, Minto Street with a little two up, two down. Where are we now? Okay, what so, sort of deals uh, are you looking at now? Well, we could kind of, we should come up with some kind of phrase for it from kind of like terraces to skyscrapers. I mean, we've just got planning permission in Manchester next to Victoria Station and the city centre to build uh, a 180 million GDV scheme. So that's 556 apartments. I can hear people gasping as they listen to this. <laughs> well, I mean... Yeah, um, and it's been a lot of hard work. Yeah. So we've gone from 32 grand up to 180 million. Now, there's no way I would have done that on my own. And Ed, Gavin, and myself joining together, having a common vision and putting the strategy together and supporting each other through, you know, good times and bad, yeah. uh, we've got to that point. We didn't, you know, that's our latest scheme. You know, our, our first large scheme was a, you know, a 21 million scheme, 350 beds, um, you know, in Derby. Uh, which was kind of a scheme that Gavin brought to us. Look, I think there's a deal to be done here on development. You know, at that point, we didn't know that we're going to be in student development. Um, and you delivered that, didn't you? We delivered it on time. I remember two budget for Viva investors. Gavin negotiated a thirty-year strip lease with the University of Derby, which is the gold standard, um, and that was a fantastic deal. And, and what we quickly decided strategically is that the exit for us in development is key. We want to build things where the exit's there as quickly as possible. So effectively, the strategy for prosperity is that we build things that the funds want. The funds like LNG, AIG, you know, Visa, Aviva. Um, and the two sectors that we're focusing on are student and uh, build to rent. And also, uh, we're potentially looking at partnering with local councils. Um, but that's kind of a slightly longer one. Um, so... That's what we're doing. So, you know, we've so finished- can't pause you there. Because okay. as a, so I'm, a, I'm listening to this. My, my, my guests to the podcast are listening to this, right? It, it just seems a massive stretch from oh, the terrorist. Is. So, uh, you must have had some traumas, you must have had some triumphs. Uh, I get and I endorse fully what you say about education and network. It's the people that. Property business is about people. If you've oh, got yeah. the right people, you can do all sorts of things. But what you've done is extraordinary. So, how, you, what, what were the step? What did you do? So, you got two people on on board with complementary skills, well, complementary and, and different skills. Okay. So, kind of, if you look at Ed, Gavin, and I, we're all primary. Uh, do you use wealth dynamics of progressive? I have. Okay. Well, we're all kind of primary star profiles, but with different secondaries. So, we 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 are. All, we're all similar but quite different in different ways um but the steps were getting together with three sharing the pressure and the strains and one of the benefits of that is that we all have slightly different approaches and ways of viewing things so if any of the if any of us got a problem we kind of share it between us and we've always come up with a solution um and um taking that next step i mean it was a huge step Going from, you know, sourcing terraces to doing the cathedral court deal. Um, it, was a, it was a leap of faith, which is the size of a moon landing leap of faith. What know? about funding, Fraser? Where did you well, go for the money? Well, basically, uh, at networking again. So, uh, 
what we did is that we we had to, we had to um, exchange on this site, um, and we had to raise some private investment equity. Okay, and quickly, what we decided within the company is that I was going to become the investor relations director, which basically means raising you know private equity. Um, and we, I went out to my my contacts and my network and said, "We're doing this." Offered a rate and raised the money. Um, and uh, you know, to date, uh, nearly five years on, for, in terms of private equity loans, uh, we've raised nearly twenty million pounds. You know, we we deal with over one hundred and thirty investors, two hundred and thirty-five loans. Um, so let me pause you there. Do you have minimum criteria for your investors? Are they minimum? Yeah. Um, it, it's not retail funding. We only deal with professional investors. It's typically a minimum of £100,000 plus. But we offer rates of between 10 and 20% based on the security. How do you decide those figures? Are they plucked from the air? Or? Uh, uh, well, to be really honest with you, yeah. to begin with, you do have to pluck them from the air. Or you look at, you know, who else in the market and what kind of figures, you know, are, are they expecting? And also, you know, I'm from the investor community. So we, you know, you hear about these are the kind of returns. And it's all based on security and return. I mean, it's, you know, if we offer a share of a first charge, we offer 10%. If it's unsecured, it's 20, you know. Um, but there's two things with our investors that, that are the two determinants of whether they'll invest with prosperity or not. One, do they believe in the sector and do they think it's a good idea? So, you know, student, build to rent, UK housing crisis, that will make sense, you know. And then the second one, fundamentally, and let's just boil it down straight, is do they trust that you won't lose their money? Yes. Okay. That's key. That's it. They're the two things. And uh, some and the investors operate on two scales. Um, some are very kind of emotionally led and some are very technically led. Most are in the middle. But I've had all three. I've had investors that invest with me um, because it's me. That is really, really important. And I want everyone listening to, to, to absorb that because people don't believe out there um, that someone won't invest without security, a first charge, whatever. But people invest in you because they believe in you. They do, but it's a huge responsibility. Yeah, okay? yeah. And I take it very, very seriously because £100,000 is a lot of money. Agreed. Okay. Um, you know, when you're talking to the funds, you know, like 100 million, 150, you think it's little. But I, always, I every investment I treat very, very seriously. And we've never lost anyone's money and we've every, always paid every, you know, um, Pence of interest. Interest. But, I, you know, I, I always get that point. And it, it, it's it's normally on me. People's relationship, you know, with me and the belief in what we're doing. And is that your role to bring the money in? Yeah, I'm the investor relations director. It's my job to fund the company. Uh, the way Gavin's our CEO, so he's our main deal maker and also kind of our lead on student. Ed's our development director and lead on build to rent. But Gavin and Ed kind of uh, also look at build to rent and student uh, hopefully, uh, hoping we're going to launch a, a build to rent scheme in Ireland shortly. Uh, build to rent, which Gavin and his team in Ireland are, are leading on. Um, but yes, that's my role. But I've, I'm a, I'm a co-founder of the company, yes. so I also have my board responsibilities. So every, you know, I'm part of the the deal appraisal committee. So I will also analyse the deal when it's been packaged by the team and brought forward. You know, for that deal appraisal. But you know, just doing that. Yeah, there's four of us working on, you know, raising finance for the company. Mm. So in terms of marketing yourself, are you at the stage now where actually you don't have to, it's all word of mouth? Well, there's two, there's two. So you have to be 
Because uh, we are appointed representatives of Odin Capital Management Limited, are fully authorised and regulated by the FCA, I'm not allowed to shorten that. Uh, um, we're not allowed to market uh, what we do in particular ways. We have to be very careful about the way that we only talk to professional investors or qualify it. Um, and so our AR status is, is um, a, a time-consuming and expensive process. But again, it's something that builds confidence with investors. Credibility. Yeah, Absolutely. it's optional. You'll find that a lot of um, companies doing this, not doing it. And there's a lot of companies lumping investor money together under what's called a USIS, an unregulated, classified, uh, an unregulated collective investment scheme. They're not allowed to do that. Because of our AR status, we operate what's called an NMPI, a non-mainstream pool investment, and we are allowed to do it. So beware if you're investing you know, with other investors in terms of what the structure is. Fantastic. So uh, we, uh, I know we're, we're under a bit of time pressure, and I'm really grateful, Fraser, uh, for the time you spent. Um, if there's somebody out there listening to this who's right at the beginning, who, who wants to start their property career, who's come from a corporate background as you did, have you got a couple of things you can share with them uh, today that might help them? Yeah, I do. Um, the first one is, um, there's two. One is get out and network. Yes. There's loads of PIN, PPN, independent. A shout out for the Baker Street property meeting that Vanish runs. I think that's really good as well. All of them. Go to any of them. You know, I, I know I'm part of the PIN community, but it doesn't really matter. Just get out and network and meet people. There's lots of speakers in the circuit. Buy the books. There's kind of free taster courses. I know that with Progressive, there's quite a lot of free courses. Or with PIN, you go and do a one day, that kind of thing. Spend a bit of time. Um, and then the second thing to acknowledge is that this business is pretty much fully unregulated, okay? And uh, in my fully opinion, unregulated. yeah, unregulated. Okay, cool, and yeah. in my opinion, it's one of the worst industries there are in terms of people trying to do quick deals and people trying to take your money. So one of the things I used to remember when I worked at Tesco is the FD there used to say, "Be paranoid, okay? Because the buggers are out to get you." And just be really, really careful if you make an investment. If you work with any sources or invest with any company, a personal recommendation of someone who's actually done it is incredibly important. Absolutely. So, so it's an old, it's an old story, really. If um, the real get rich quick team, if you're listening to this, and the, not not the online fuzzy get rich quick. If you want to get rich quick, mix with people who have done what you want to do and they've got what you want to get. That yeah. is the fastest way. So networking is key. Um, you should mix up the colour of your uh, networking. You know, go to the dark side. I've got no issue with that at all. <laughs> I find with a progressive meeting, progressive meetings are cool, but you tend to get the same people going en masse. Uh, and, and you do with PIN as well. I mean, I've been to some progressive meetings as well, and they're very similar, aren't they? Yes. I, I, it does feel like the format was kind of borrowed, shall we say. Um, but it works. It doesn't matter. Just go to any meetings. And also, if they're, I don't know whether Progressive or some of the others do it, if there's the opportunity to, what well, the PIN meeting's called a service provider announcement, you know, 20 seconds, get up and say something, you know, get up and say, hi, my name's Fraser. I've, I'm just starting out on the property journey. I, I'd like to buy someone a, co a coffee who's got a little bit of time. And you'll find people will come and say, I'm happy to help you because I find that actually, generally, the property community is quite supportive. And it's not this kind of, well, it is kind of cultish, but not cultish, but people want other people to be successful. Yes. Nobody's pulling against you. No, no. Wherever you are, we want you to succeed. 
Exactly. I sold a pub in Oldham in the 20-second service provider slot in Brighton Pit. There you go. There you go. Yeah, no, and exactly. And you always find something out. I was at uh, Matt Sedell's uh, new quorum meeting or Quandar meeting. I can't remember. Really good meeting. Um, slightly different to what we're doing. But I, I, I found out something, and I, I, I always learn something. I always write something down. You know, I've been in this game like a long time now, but you, you never know everything. I support that 100%. Fraser, can I say thank you? I really value the time that you found for us today. Uh, what you've shared is going to be of massive value to the people listening. Thank you so much. Uh, we need to have a personal catch-up. I know you're rushing off to take a phone call now, and it's it's a big deal, team, so Fraser has to go. One question before you go. I don't know what you're driving. But it's not the black A6 anymore, is it? Oh, it is. No, I'm on my third one. I remember your advice because I bought one, listeners, <laughs> which didn't have the front and rear reverse sensors. I was, I was moaning to David. He said, well, did you used to have a car that didn't have front and rear reverse sensors? And I went, yes. He said, well, there you go. It's first world problems. Get over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, just so you know, I'm on my fourth one. Oh, I'm just about to get my fourth one. And my, my wife calls me a lazy car buyer. I go, it works. Just Absolutely. Except actually, when the lease cost of the electric cars gets to an appro- approximate level. Agreed. Um, and in fact, I learned a fact from someone who's got a Tesla. Um, you can use the uh, electric car. Uh, you can do a company write-off for the full value, which I'm looking at as yeah, well. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, it'll probably be another A6. Fabulous. Fraser, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your time. Maybe as things move forward, um, we'll speak and we'll do it again. Something slightly yeah, different. Yeah, love to. And uh, Great everyone, to see. everyone listening, I'll see you all soon. Thank you, Fraser. Great to see you. Thank you for listening. I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.